Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you guys for that. They will be uh, flying back to Dallas, Texas later today, and then they'll be in the States for a few more months before they head back over to Zambia. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father, we just thank you again for the opportunity to serve you, Father, and for this church and for the ministries of this church, Father, and how you've just poured into so many of our people and challenged them on so many levels. Father, I pray your hand would be upon us this morning as we continue to study, as we continue to learn, and Lord, I just pray that your will be done in all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's been a very exciting weekend for those of you that were able to join us for our missions conference. Started Friday night with a, a, a nice banquet and a challenge from Al Jackson, pastor of Lakeview in Auburn. Continued Saturday morning with a challenge again from him and from Gary Udy and from Blue and Darby that you just met from New Day Orphanage. And, and we were just really challenged this week and compelled, at least in my case, to do more than I'm doing. It's very easy for us to get complacent. It's very easy for us to think that we've done enough and we don't need to reach out to any other people. And it's very easy for us sometimes to forget that there's a big world in desperate need of Christ. And so I was challenged this week. And one of the neat things that we were able to accomplish at our conference was to hand out our cards of our trips for the upcoming year. So for 2014, we've already planned and scheduled all of our trips. If you did not get one of these cards, there's a bunch laying on the front pew here this morning. And I want to challenge you, every person, if you haven't seen this card, I want every person to get a card. Now, you may have no intention of doing mission this year. That's okay. I want every person to take a card, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is all I'm going to ask of you. I want you to take it home and just look over it, spend a couple of minutes looking through in some of the trips, and then I want you to pray just one time. If you're not planning on doing anything, I want you to pray one time that the Lord would guide you in what he would have you do with mission work. I mean, he, he may come back to you and say, I don't need you, or he may come back and say, I'm calling you to go to Africa for the rest of your life. But that's between you and the Lord. But I'm going to challenge you to do that. I want every person to see this card. I want every person to pray through this card at least once. And then I want every person to take one of these cards. It's an interest card. You can take it home with you, look through it, think about it. We're going to ask you to sign up on the back. And if you have any interest in any of these trips, mark it. You can bring it back next week. You can put it in the offering plate this morning. You can give it to me. You're not signing up for a trip. You're simply saying, I'm interested in going. Now, one of the things we're doing this year that we didn't do this current year, we're doing 2014, we haven't done it in 2013, is we're partnering with a church planter in Atlanta. Now, we're praying through exactly what that's going to look like. We've been working with the North American Mission Board. We've been working with the church planter that's over the city of Atlanta. And we've gotten a list of names of people that are actively trying to plant a church within the city of Atlanta. And we're praying through that, how we can partner with this person. Believe it or not, Atlanta is one of the most unchurched places in the country. The North American Mission Board has targeted 30 of the largest cities in our country and 30 of the largest unreached groups of people in our country, and they're trying to plant churches in those areas. And we want to partner with one of those churches. The beautiful thing about Atlanta is it's close enough you can drive to it. You may not feel compelled to go to Zambia or to Romania or to Guatemala or to Brazil, but I promise you, you can get on 85 North and drive to Atlanta. And I bet a lot of you have done that in the last several months. So you be in prayer for that. You be in prayer for what the Lord would have you to do and how he'd have you to be involved. And we're going to end our service this morning with our missions offering. I've been talking about it for a few weeks. We've been praying about it. The Lord blessed us last year with an incredible gift. 
We've been able to use that gift to build houses, to provide medical treatment, to do supplies. To, we gave a large gift to the New Day Orphanage to help them build a building on their property so they can reach more and more people for Christ and minister to those kids. And so the Lord has really blessed us. And we're going to encourage you to give at the end of the service as the Lord would lead you to give. And so I'm going to ask us this morning, as we think about missions, as we think about our role in missions as we think about all the Lord has done in this church to turn to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52 is going to be our focal passage this morning. Now Isaiah is a very interesting book because it has some very interesting divisions and it's very similar to the scripture. The Bible has 66 books, 39 old and 27 new. Isaiah has 66 chapters, 39 that are kind of one section and 27 that are kind of the new section, very similar The Old Testament speaks about the sin of Israel, the deceit of Israel, how the Lord punished them and rebuked them and then eventually redeemed them. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah talk about the same thing. The last 27 books of the Bible, the New Testament, speak about the coming Messiah, about his reign, about his glory. The last 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah speak about the same thing, the coming Messiah, his reign, his glory. One of the ones that you may be familiar with is Isaiah 53. So if you're in Isaiah 52, flip over for just a second to 53. Beginning in chapter 40 of Isaiah, there's this picture of the future Messiah. The picture of the Savior that will one day come and reign and forgive them of their sins and reverse the curse of Genesis chapter 3. Isaiah 53, look at verses 3, 4, and 5. Remember, Isaiah now is written 700 years before the birth of Christ. If you're ever witnessing to a skeptic, you should take them to Isaiah 53. Because Isaiah 53 was written hundreds of years before Christ. There's no doubt about that. Nobody disputes that. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls contained a complete scroll of the book Isaiah. Dated hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And yet I want you to listen to the crystal clear prophecy of Christ in Isaiah 53 beginning in verse 3. Think about Jesus here. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, yet familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was, think of Christ here, pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. It's a clear picture of Christ. It's a clear picture of the Messiah. It's a clear picture of what he was going to do for us and what he was going to accomplish for us and ultimately what he was going to give for us. And so with that thought in mind, let's flip back now to Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 7. And we're going to be challenged and compelled with the clear teaching of Scripture this morning. Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 7. Scriptures say this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And just think about the imagery there, the mountains and the jungles and all the places that we go all through the world to share Christ with people. Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your king reigns. Verse 8, listen, your watchmen lift up their voices Together they shout for joy, and when the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare. 
His holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Now I want to challenge you with something this morning before we delve into this passage of Scripture. What's the Lord calling you to do? Where's the Lord calling you to go? Because it's very easy in our world to get complacent. It's very easy in our world to get comfortable. It's very easy in our world to kind of look around us and the surroundings we have and not really want to give those things up. But I want to challenge you with an idea. Christ gave it all. How much are we willing to give? And so the truth of this passage of Scripture is pretty clear as we begin to delve into it. And there's some points that I want to make this morning that I want to challenge you with. And I want you to apply to your life. And I want you to begin to understand in the context of missions. And here's the first point I want to draw out, the first truth of this Scripture. It's a truth you're going to be familiar with. You're going to know the information and yet very few act upon it. Here's truth number one. We need people to go and share the good news to all that will listen. Very simply, we need more people to go. Now, Al Jackson, who's the pastor of Lakeview in Auburn, did a a phenomenal job Friday and Saturday for us speaking. And he talked in his message about a statistic that I was unaware of. He talked about the International Mission Board and how they have trained all these missionaries. And, of course, I'm familiar with the the IMB, the International Mission Board. I'm familiar with the fact that they've sent out almost 5,000 missionaries all over the world. And, by the way, when you give money every week in your tithes and offerings... We as a church give 10% of that to the International Mission Board, to the cooperative program. And a part of that goes to fund these missionaries. And so by your tithes and offerings, you are part of a larger group of people that fund almost 5,000 missionaries worldwide. But here's the stat that he gave me that I didn't know of. He said there are almost 700, I think 670, 680 missionaries that have been trained recently. They've been equipped, they've been trained, they've been called, they're ready to go, they're ready to be sent out. And there are all sorts of needs all over the world for these people to plug into and reach people for Christ. They're they're literally sitting on go waiting, but they can't leave yet for one simple problem. There's not enough money to send them to these places. And so the International Mission Board has begun to do something they've never done before in their history. They've began to sell properties all over the world that they own so that they can take this money and they can fund these missionaries to send them into different parts of the world. And I, I take a step back and praise the Lord, our church has been faithful in our giving. And we're going to, I promise you, we're going to continue to be faithful in our giving to the cooperative program. We're going to give money to these missionaries. Praise the Lord, we've been faithful to our giving and our missions fund, and the Lord has done incredible things for us. But I take a step back and I look at the church as a whole in Western Christianity, and I wonder sometimes, what are we thinking? How can we be so satisfied and so happy with all the things that we have and want more things, and we look out into the darkness of the world and we see that there are literally billions of people, billions of people that don't know Christ, billions of people that have never heard His name, And billions of people that if we don't do something, are going to die without Christ. And I look at the clear teachings of Scripture and I begin to wonder, what should we do? Where should we go, Lord? You know, some of you hear this passage of Scripture and you read about the beautiful feed and the mountains and the people that bring the good news. And you may be wondering, I think I've heard this before. I think I've heard this Scripture, but I can't quite place where I heard it. I can't quite remember where it's from, let me remind you of Romans chapter 10. 
In Romans chapter 10, Paul gives us this clear picture, quoting from Isaiah 52, and I want to read it to you this morning. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, the words of the Apostle Paul. How then can they call, and he's speaking to people that don't know Christ, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, and here's the quote from Isaiah 52, our passage this morning, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Paul says there's this interesting progression in our world, and it still fits today. There are people that have not yet heard. But how can they hear? How can they believe unless they've heard? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? And how can someone preach unless they've been sent? And blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, there's this clear progression in Scripture, and there's this clear understanding in Scripture, not only in Romans 10, not only in Isaiah 52, but all through other pockets of the New Testament, even pictures in the Old Testament. The picture is, there are people in the world that don't know Christ. There are people in the world that are unbelievers, and it's our calling as followers of Jesus Christ to do everything we can to make sure those people have heard. And for some of you, that means you need to go. For some of you, that means you need to send. But no matter where we fall out in those categories, no matter what the Lord is calling us to do, we need to get these people the good news. Now, I like the way Isaiah uses the word good news and the phrase good news here, because if you think about good news, and this is the case in Scripture oftentimes, it's very simple to define it. It's just good news. Good things have happened. So we hear good news in the scripture of someone winning a battle or an important announcement or someone has been born. And we see over and over that good news is used for that idea. And that's kind of how we would think of it. But in the latter part of the book of Isaiah, verses uh, chapters 40 and following, good news takes on kind of a different context. Now you may remember that the children of Israel had been living in sinfulness and darkness and they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And you remember their story. You also remember that in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their sinfulness, in the midst of their rebellion to the Lord, God had caused them to not walk into the promised land. But even in the midst of that difficult time, they had hoped for a king. And you can see that in the study of the Old Testament. In fact, there came a point where they begged for a king and the Lord said, you don't need a king. And they begged for a king and he gave them Saul. You may remember the story. And so there's this sense of the people of Israel that their king is coming. One day he will arrive. One day he will save his people. One day he will take his people from their sinfulness and from their wrath and from all the mistakes that they've made and he'll lift them up and he'll install them back in their right place and in their right standing. And so when Isaiah uses the word good news, when he uses the phrase good news, it's the picture of the coming Messiah. One day there will be good news that he's arrived. One day there will be good news that he's here. One day there's good news that he's redeemed us. And you see that in the end of verse 7. Pull verse 7 up again, if you would, for me, please. Isaiah 52, verse 7 says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those that bring the good news, who proclaim peace, who proclaim good tidings, who proclaim salvation, and who say to Zion, here it is, your king reigns. See that? There's this hope that one day the king would come. There's this hope that one day he would establish himself. There's a hope that one day he would redeem and he would save the lost. And, of course, we understand that to be Jesus Christ. We understand that there was a day when he was born. We understand that there was a time when he lived on this earth. And I'm reminded of Luke chapter 2. When the angels had come to the shepherds in the field. And I want to read it to you because it ties in so nicely to this passage in Isaiah. And this idea of good news. And there were shepherds 
Living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you... Do you remember what he brought them? Good news. Remember the phrase there? That's a direct relation to Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 and the picture that one day Messiah would come and one day Messiah would reign. And when those shepherds heard that, when those shepherds heard the phrase of the angels and proclaiming the good news, they had to remember this passage. They had to remember their Savior. They had to remember that the time had finally come, as Galatians said, when Christ had come to the world, when God had sent the Savior, when the King had arrived and the King would reign. See, we've got the beauty of seeing that in perspective now. We've got the beauty of understanding that's who the Lord is. And we've got the beauty of understanding the truth of Scripture. But there are hundreds of millions of people all around the world that haven't heard. There are hundreds of millions of people that don't know that story. They don't understand who Christ is. They don't understand what Christ has given for them. They don't understand what Christ has accomplished on the cross for them. And the Scripture is clear The scripture is compelling that as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be willing to go and share. For some of you, that means getting on a plane and flying around the world. For others of you, that means walking across the street to your neighbor. But you need to be doing something. I want to say this as as kindly as I can and as nicely as I can. But there's more to Christianity than just showing up on Sunday morning to church. The Lord has called us to take up our cross and to follow him. So now let's look at verse 8. There's this picture. One day the king will come. One day the king will reign. We should share that good news once we see it. We should share that good news once we've heard it. We should proclaim salvation and bring good tidings. But now look at verse 8. Isaiah, remember, is looking ahead. We're looking in the past. But here's what he says. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy when the Lord returns to Zion. They will see it with their own eyes. See, there's a picture. When the king returns, when he comes back, we're going to shout for joy. Now, verse 9. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Here's the second truth I want you to understand. When the Lord returns and when salvation comes to the people, there will be joy and blessings. When salvation comes, there will be joy and blessings. Now Isaiah has given us this picture here of one day the watchman will look. And again, they're looking ahead to the future. We're looking back in time to Isaiah. But he says they're going to be watching and when they see, they're going to lift up their voices and they're going to shout for joy when the Lord returns. They're going to burst into songs of joy together. For the Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. There's this picture of, of the coming king, of the coming Messiah who will reign in power and majesty and glory. But when he comes, and watch this, this is important, he will bring hope and he will bring joy. And in case you don't understand this, the world is short on hope and joy. It was neat to me during our conference, we had. The opportunity to hear from a lot of our people that have gone. And they sat on our stage in our fellowship hall and they kind of recounted their stories about what they had been through and where they had gone. And and some of them talked about their fear of going and leaving family members behind. Literally to the point of panic attacks. Others talked about the fear of being able to pay for this. I just don't know if I can pay for this, Lord. Others talked about the fear of of not really being sure of what the Lord was going to do when they got there. How the Lord was going to use them. But to a person... 
Every one of them said, you know, we dealt with all these things, but at some point in our trip, we, we understood and we saw and we experienced the power of the Lord. We experienced that hope and we experienced that joy. You see, I think sometimes for us as believers that stay at home and, and, and we're all in the world and we all go to work and we all understand this and it's easy to get caught up in those things, but I think sometimes we miss the joy of salvation in our hearts. I think we forget about it sometimes. I think we forget about what the Lord has done for us and what he's accomplished for us and what he's given to us. And I think we forget about that calling. And I think we forget that our king has arrived and our king reigns and we're going to be victorious and we should be joyous about serving the Lord and we should be happy about serving the Lord and we should want to share that joy with others and we should want to go to all the ends of the earth to make sure that people that have never heard can for the first time hear of Christ. You know, I know a lot of you guys have been following the events in Egypt and then, of course, in the last week, the events in Syria. How brutally terrible that was and, and in my mind, really just a picture of the face of evil. But, you know, I read this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 52 and I, I read about the day when the Lord will arrive and how people will shout for joy. And how they'll sing songs together, they'll burst into songs and they'll be comforted because He's redeemed them. And I just, I just wish that for these people. And I pray that for these people living in the darkness. And I pray that they could just find a little glimmer of hope and a, a little glimmer of truth and a little glimmer even in the darkness of the hope of the Savior. But so many people, in America especially, we, we, we kind of find ourselves saying things like this. You know, that's, that's a wonderful thing and we should pray for that, but that's a little too difficult for me. That's a little hard. I'm just not sure I can do that. I, I received, thinking along those lines, an email from a church member this week. And this church member said, I can't come to the missions conference. I'm sorry. I wanted to be, but we're out of town. We've had this trip planned for a long time. I actually had to go to a wedding. He said, we're supportive and we're going to go and we, we, we can't be there. But he said, I want you to read this email that I received from a friend. And he's got a friend living in another country. He's got a friend that's a missionary in another country, and this person is in a place that is very dangerous to live. A place where Christianity is illegal, and what he's doing there is frowned upon by the authorities. And I want to read you just a little portion of this email. And we have it, but I don't want you to bring it up yet. Don't bring the email up yet, because I'm going to show it to you in just a second. You're going to have to see it to understand the truth of what I'm talking about here. Here's the email from this man. He's talking about teaching this young family about Christ, these people that have never heard the gospel. These people live in an oppressed area and he says at the end of the lesson the husband of the couple wanted to accept Jesus and as my teammate shared scripture with him from Acts 2 it said that you repent and are forgiven and you will be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit and immediately his wife said I've never been baptized and he said she wanted to be baptized so then they were both saying how do we do that we want to do that we want to follow Jesus it was such a precious moment to watch that as they wanted to be disobedient to God please pray that we will continue to get further into these lessons. And so he prayed and received Jesus. And we promised them this week that we would do the baptism lessons so they can learn more. Now that's a compelling story for a couple of reasons. Number one, because this man was so anxious to hear about Christ. His wife was so anxious to hear about Christ. And when they taught him about Jesus, they said, we want to do this. We want to follow Christ. We want to be baptized. And I just see the, the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And I see that the picture of Christ and his joy and his holiness and his salvation literally descending into the darkness and rescuing people from peril. And it's a compelling story, but it's even more compelling when you see it. I want you to bring the picture up on the 
screen of this email. I want you to watch with me here. At the end of the lesson, the husband and the couple wanted to accept Jesus, J.S.U.S. And as my teammate shared scripture with him from Acts 2, it said you repent, R.P.E.N.T., and are forgiven and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, H.L.Y. Spirit. And you look at the email and you think, well, this guy doesn't spell very well. (laughs) Why didn't his spell check pick up? Here's the reason he spelled it like this, because he lives in a world and in a country where the authorities go through his email. And when he decides to send an email about Jesus Christ, he has to camouflage it. And he has to misspell words like scripture and Jesus and repent and baptize in Holy Spirit because he knows if the authorities got this email and they read it, they would come and they would find him. And they would do unspeakable things to him. You see, it's very easy for us to live in a bubble of comfort But there is a very real world where people are living in the darkness. And it's very easy for us to say, you know what, I'm not real sure I can step out of my comfort zone. I'm not sure I can do these things. And I just want to compel you with this thought. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, if you're not going to do it, who will? Now we move on to verse 10. So we see a need to go. We see a picture that when we go and we take salvation, even to the depths of the darkness of the earth, there will be joy. And there will be hope and there will be salvation. And now verse 10, kind of a big picture of all this, the scope of what we're talking about here. The Lord will lay bare His holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And here it is. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. So here's the big picture we need to understand. Salvation is for all the nations. It's not just for people that look like you and me. It's not just for people that speak the same language that we speak. We've seen stats before of need, and we've heard stats even in our missions conference and, and some this morning of the billions of people in need. But according to the International Mission Board, there are approximately, and this is an estimate, nobody can count all of them, there are approximately 11,487 people groups in the world. Now, a people group is a group of people that share a common language and a common culture. And so you can have multiple people groups per country. In fact, there are multiple people groups per country. But of those 11,000 plus people groups, over 6,600, more than half of them are unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what that means in numbers for us is that there are almost 2 billion People that have never heard the name Jesus. Two billion people. Now that's awfully easy for me and for you as we sit here and hear those numbers. For those to become statistics in our mind. Two billion people. That's a big number. And Blue talked about counting to that number and how far back you'd have to go in time if you did that every second. And if we're not careful, these become statistics. But I want you to understand something in the real world. These aren't just numbers. These are people. And those two billion people, like the little girl that showed by that orphanage that day when the grandmother brought her, the aunt brought her, represent a life. Somebody's son, somebody's daughter, somebody's mother, somebody's father, somebody's spouse, somebody's aunt, somebody's uncle. These are people. And not only are these people, these are people that are created in the image of God. And these are people that are desperate to hear Christ. And if somebody doesn't do something soon... 
They're going to die without Jesus. And so we take a look at these scriptures and we take a look at these teachings and we think, Lord, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do, Lord? It's clear that you called us to go. It's clear that there's a mandate upon the church. It's clear that the world is in darkness. It's clear that you've, you called to go to the nations, Lord. But how are you going to go to the nations? How are you going to reach people for Christ? Lord, how are you going to make a difference? And here's where the rubber meets the road. See, the very simple truth of the matter is this. God is going to reach the nations by using believers in the local church to do it. That's you and me. Because we're his hands and we're his feet. And so we see clear commands like Matthew 28, 19, and 20. speaking to the church. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's a command. It's real clear. Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. Acts 1, 8. And you... Church will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Acts 13, speaking to the people in the early church, for this is what the Lord has commanded. I have made you a light unto the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You know, the Lord is compelled to reach the nations, but he's compelled to do it through you and through me. It's very easy for us to take a look at all the needs and all the places that need Christ and even all the needs on our little sheet here and we begin to think I don't know if I can do this I'm not sure I can afford it I'm not sure I can take the vacation I'm not sure if I'm gonna have the courage to go I don't I don't want you to worry about any of that I want you to start with a very simple question and the very simple prayer Lord how do you want to use me start there don't you dare start with a piece of paper and a pen and numbers that's not the place to start don't you start with your calendar book and your vacation days next year don't you start there Don't you start by worrying about what somebody may think or how you're going to get behind at work. Don't start there. You start by asking the Lord, Lord, how do you want to use me? Because if the Lord has called you to go, then the Lord is going to provide a way for you to go. Now, this week was incredible for us. We we were challenged and we were confronted and we were called to be part of the world for Christ. And Al Jackson told us some incredible stories about missionaries that had gone and missionaries that had given their their lives for Christ. And he read the story of one missionary who had, actually one missionary couple who had been gone for 30 or 40 years. I don't really remember the number. And he read to us their final letter they sent home. And I wish I had it. I'd like to read it to you again. I know a lot of you weren't able to hear it. But the letter was was very compelling. It talked about the, the, the incredible things that they had endured. And it, it taught about all the places they had they'd been and all the people that had come to Christ. But it also taught about the difficult times. All the things they had been through and all the struggles. And he had a list of them. They had endured floods and cyclones and disease and threats and robbery. And they had been stabbed one time while they were there. I couldn't help but hearing those stories and, and thinking about those missionaries and thinking about all they had accomplished. And I couldn't help but having this thought in my brain. As amazing as those sto- stories are, one day I want those to be our stories. I want those to be your stories. Because uh, we're not getting any younger, right? And I've been told the older I get, the quicker that'll speed up. And, and, and sometimes I think we just kind of have to wake up and say, you know, Lord, what are you doing with my life? Because we can just keep on keeping on doing what we're doing here and, and, and being comfortable and, and living the life that we live and, and being happy. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
I think the Lord can honor that. He can bless us right where we are. But I think sometimes we need to kind of face the truth that there's a world condemned to darkness if we don't do something about it. And I just wonder one day in, in, in some period of years if somebody will stand up at a missions conference or preach at a church or give a testimony as a missionary and I wonder if they'll tell our stories. You know, they were faithful to go. And they endured a lot and it wasn't always easy, but praise God, their joy was made complete. You know, I want that for me. I want that for you, and I want that for my kids and for your kids and for this church because there's so much more. There's so much more. What's the Lord asking you to do? It's real simple. He's called us each to have a part. He's called us each to have a role. And you've got to answer the question. What are you going to do with me, Lord? You want to be the guy that just lives his life like everybody else, lives his life like everybody else? Or do you want to be the guy that one day they tell stories about? Because your faithfulness to the king. Let's pray. Father, we love you and... We desire to know you, and we desire to serve you, Father, and forgive us in our weakness. Forgive us for failing you and for not putting you first in so many things. We just want to be used by you. We want to look back one day and and just see a life of faithfulness served to our King, Lord, and we want to see you being honored and you being glorified in all things, and we just want to seek your will, Father. So I pray you'd speak to us clearly now. You would give us the mandate and the call to go. And we pray you'd be glorified in all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.